today we're going to be um, looking at Luke 19, starting with verse 11. That's a little too loud. Yeah, that's good. Luke 19, starting with verse 11, and I want to um, make a few remarks before I get started in the first one. Sometimes I do this, is tell you the main idea. And so I want to be right up front about this, what the main idea I believe that um, the Lord would speak to us through this passage is that the merciful king blesses the faithful and justly punishes his enemies. That's what I believe to be the main idea of this passage. And so we are going to hear about a king who's so incredibly kind, gracious, and merciful, and also one who justly gives punishment to his enemies, those who would reject him. And so it's both a warning and an encouragement to those that Jesus was speaking to then and today. A couple more things. You know, we've been going through this book of Luke, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and um, for a, since about chapter 9, we, Jesus took the turn and he's been moving towards Jerusalem. Today is going to be the last passage before he starts to enter in and starts to move into Jerusalem. And so Luke has this passage we need to pay attention because there's a transition happening. And so he's going to give some very important words before he moves in for this um, completion of Jesus' mission on earth. And so the original audience were the Jews who had been waiting for the glory of the Lord to fill the temple. They've been waiting for God to come. And Jesus is God. He's in the flesh and he's there. And he's been showing his authority. He's been showing his compassion and kindness all the way to Jerusalem as the multitudes have been blessed. He's been healing people. He's been casting out demons, bringing freedom. And so people are watching. The Jews would hear this story. This is still preliminary. The Jews would hear a story about a king and his subjects, and they would immediately put themselves in the picture. And so he was very intentional about this parable and how he would address it. I want to talk about the primary doctrine. What theologically are we addressing today? The Lord's addressing this, that there is a kingdom and there's a cosmic battle. Do you remember that God created the heavens and the earth? And then there was man and creation and everything was good and God gave people purpose and dominion. They would exercise authority on his behalf on the earth. And they lost that when sin entered. And all along the way, God has been intervening in history. And he started to make a way. And then he brings Jesus to bring the fulfillment of a way to be free from sin and death and separation from God and restore us back. And so this is the doctrine where in the end, those that receive the offer of salvation are fully blessed. And those that don't, they are condemned because of their rejection of his love and goodness. And so the Belgic Confession 
talks to us about that. It's one of the creeds, one of the confessions of this church. And I've got a copy of some um, pertinent parts of that on the Last Judgment that I'm going to um, make available after the service, and I hope that you'll all read it. But that's um, some just preliminary information about, and some of you maybe already got that. Others will um, pick it up after the service. So let's um, look now at Luke 19, verses 11 to 27. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. While they were listening to this, who were they? And it was, remember, he had been, Pastor Dave preached on this, where Zacchaeus and Jesus said, I want to go to your house and I've come to save the lost. And so it's on the heels of that, where they were judging Jesus about being on mission and saving the lost. He's talking to all those people. So we can assume that there's the Pharisees, there's the religious leaders, there's the crowds, there's the disciples, they're all there. All right. So while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You Take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words. You wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I didn't put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his mina away from him. And give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they replied, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine 
who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. This is God's word. Making investments. In some ways, this parable is talking about how do we invest what we've been given? How do we use it? And so I want to talk for a minute about the American dream. You know, in some ways, when we think about living in American culture, we think about making investments. You know, that has been one of the areas, financial, that America has been kind of known for. And so I want to tell you a little bit about Dane's dad. Dane's dad grew up in um, a poor situation in his home. And yet when he grew up, he kind of got interested in business, kind of got interested in buying and selling things. He was really great at meeting people. And so over the years, he made some investments. Some were good, had some good returns, um, had a little place up north on a river, and he and the family just really have great memories of that. Sold it. Dane wishes he had never sold it. Still regrets that. His dad had some land down by Benton Harbor, expecting that to develop by the highway, and um, just didn't hang on to it quite long enough. Um, but, again, an investment. But also, one thing that affected Dane's dad was that um, the Depression years. And so this idea of not really knowing if his money would be safe in the bank and, you know, so he kind of liked to have stuff that was more tangible. But um, we always kind of joke that he hid his money in his shoes and, and other places. And so when he passed, we would need to be careful about where to look to see where he might have hidden his money. But in some ways, he was kind of um, trying to make the most of what had been given to him. And, um, and yet there was something, some of that little bit of fear, some anxiety that um, caused him to make some of the decisions that he did about investing. So some mixed, some mixed um, responses in his way of dealing with making the most of opportunities. The Jewish dream, I already mentioned this, was to have the presence of God filling the temple. And they were trying to make the most of the opportunity, I think, except that they got mixed up and they made some choices. Their leadership made some choices about how they were or weren't um, investing their time and their efforts. And, um, and so, therefore, some of them were working really, really hard, but they were completely kind of missing. They were investing poorly. They were investing in their own ability to be righteous and holy. Like I said, they were listening carefully as Jesus was talking to them because he was talking to them each about were they recognizing who had given them a call to be investing in the first place, that God had called them to be his people and that he would be their God, and were they watching for the ways that he was giving resources and suggestions on how they should spend their time, their effort, their money. They were listening carefully, and today... The Lord calls us to do the same. There's three primary groups of people in this story. There's the resistors. There's the ones who um, are called subjects. 
And then again in verse 27 refers to that same group as enemies. So there's the resistors. There's the unfaithful, who he calls a wicked servant in verse 21. And then there's the faithful, the good servants who are commended and um, given blessing. And those are in verses 16 and 18. And so as we look at this story, there's these three groups of people, the resistors, the unfaithful, and the faithful. So first I want to talk about the resistors. They're the ones who do not want to think about Jesus as being God, as being their king. They're rejecting, when he said the kingdom of God has come in your midst, they were saying no. There's a historical context He's re- when Jesus tells this story about this group that sent off in protest. They didn't want this king. Actually, that had happened in real life right among them recently is that they had had someone who was going to be appointed king. They didn't want him king, and so they went to this foreign country, gave a protest. The person making the decision and coronating the king um, gave a compromise, and they kind of got their way, and they never actually got that person. That person did kind of an apprenticeship, and then it never panned out. They didn't come as king. And so they were really hoping to just do this with Jesus, like, no way. He would not be our king. And so Jesus is saying, actually, in this story, there's a king. He goes to a different place, and he is um, ordained as king, put into that position, and he comes back. And while you're his potential subjects, you actually are his subjects. You just don't know it yet. But there's a king that's coming back, and you're going to be subject to his authority and to him as judge. And so the subjects are resisting his kingship, and in the end, because of their rejection of the king, they will be killed. This is a story, but it's actually a warning. He is warning those who are resisting him as king that they will suffer punishment. It will be death. Do you remember the scripture, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life? Now let's look at this category of the unfaithful servant, the one who was told um, they were all given the same amount, recognized they weren't investing their own resources. He gave them resources, and yet this one hid it in a cloth. That servant is probably the most perplexing to figure out if you sit and think about this story. It's perplexing to think, how do you think about this person? But this is my best understanding in prayerful study and um, with the Lord in prayer, is that that servant did not trust the goodness of that king. And so therefore, they were perhaps letting the past influence their obedience to the king. These people were servants, and poverty thinking can result in fear. Or it can result in self-reliance, thinking that you know better. It can result in confusion and distraction. Maybe that servant was thinking, I'm going to put this in this cloth and I'm going to get around to that, making work and good use of this money for the king, but never does. But somehow, this servant is not living in their identity. 
Their identity and purpose was to be a servant of the king and to follow commands and to make good use, put this money to work until I come back. And that servant was disobedient. Whatever the influences were that caused that disobedience, they were committed to serve, and yet they didn't obey and follow it out. So they put it in the cloth, and it's, it's very obvious in the answer that the servant gives that they're confused. Because they're saying, well, you were mean, and you, know, you, you take things that you didn't give and so forth, and it's like, wait a minute, the king gave this resource. It was yours. All you had to do is just even put it in the bank. would have just been a safe investment. And yet the person didn't even think of that. And so there's just confusion going on in their mind. And then they turn around and project that confusion onto the king and try to say it's your fault. Don't you know that's old? That's an old story, right? You know? Who made me do what? You know, and pointing the finger and suddenly the servant is pointing the finger at the judge and saying, you've done wrong. Well, whatever it is, the king just calls it out that this is wicked. This is not the way that you're supposed to live. You were supposed to fulfill my purposes, fulfill my commands. And so you were listening to some other voice, your own or your past was influencing you. If you remember, um, that happened even to Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. Jesus um, was talking about going to the cross, and Jesus you know, wanted him to not go. And Jesus turned around and said, get behind me, Satan. And so there was an influence. There was an influence That time, it was Satan himself working through the words of Peter. But this servant, in some way, shape, or form, was influenced by their flesh, was influenced by their background, was influenced, I don't know why, but the king is just calling it out that that's wicked. And so, what happens? There's no reward. The first two get rewards, right? Ten cities, five cities. Oh, that... That that you were given, that about three or four months' wages, that I'm going to take away. That opportunity to, um, to invest and represent me as an ambassador, I'm going to take that away until we get some things straightened out about our relationship, and I'm going to give it to somebody who's been faithful. And that's as much as I think that we can um, read into that. Now let's go on and look at that other um, category, the faithful ones. The faithful servant. That There were ten servants. The story tells us about three, so they each represent groups. And so there were some faithful ones. They were obedient. Jesus picks money, talks about money in this parable. And so I was thinking, well, why does he talk about money? And how could that give us some insight into this? And so please stay with me. I know it's warm, but I'm going to ask if you are getting drowsy. If you need to stand up on the side, that's fine. Do that. But I want you to listen to this. It's so important. God is telling us that the king values faithfulness. And that money, what did they do with money? And what can we learn from money? 
If you invest money, and I'm not a finance expert. My son's studying finance. Dane likes to listen to Dave Ramsey all the time. So let me tell you what I've learned by osmosis, by living in a context of people that talk about some things like this. All right, so if you make an investment and you do it early on, compounding interest, you, it might just be a little bit, but over years, compounding interest can just take that thing and make it rise and so that that little investment grows big. You can leverage your risk, because some investments are good and some aren't, but if you just make steady incremental investments, it helps offset any changes in the market. And so again, by steady investment, using your resources, you get that profit. You, you have great earnings potential. Okay. Sometimes if you take a risk, but you want to take a calculated risk, but you do all the research, and then you say, I think this is a good investment, and it might have a high risk, and you might have to take, you know, it might be a little like, ooh, here we go, sign that paper or whatever. But sometimes those high risk yield high returns. And so I think we can apply this to our lives. I think we can apply this to our life in Christ. When he calls us to use our gifts and talents, do we do it promptly and right away? Do we do it regularly? Are we willing to take a risk? Are we willing to step out in faith to bring God glory? Do you see where we're going with that? Okay, and so the rewards to the faithful are that the one came back with a ten minus and was given ten cities and was commended. I want you to notice that the one with five minus was not reprimanded. We don't see a reprimand there. We just see a blessing in proportion to what was brought. Okay, I'm bringing you back these things. Oh, okay, then you get five cities. You're bringing back more, you're going to get ten cities. And so whatever we're doing, the Lord is pleased with faithful obedience, prompt obedience, regular obedience, and there's blessings to come. All right. Today, how does this apply to today? Resistors, enemies, those who would not want to make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of their lives. And I feel like the Lord, as we were worshiping today, he was just saying, wake up, wake up, wake up. Hear the fact that there is a King Jesus who loves you, who laid down his life for you. He is not a harsh king. He is a good and faithful king. And he's saying, you are in a predicament. You are separated from my love and my protection by your sin. And your sin separates you. Come to me. Believe that I died on that cross for you to save you from your sins. Today, he speaks to the resistors and says, don't resist Jesus as king. There is punishment, even as there was punishment in this story, there's punishment for those who resist Jesus as king and lord of their lives. 
I'm going to read this excerpt from Belgic Confession. Why don't we just read this out loud? Can you read it? Can you see it on the screen okay? Yeah, let's read this together. And then the secrets and hypocrisies of all people will be publicly uncovered in the sight of all. Therefore, with good reason, the thought of this judgment is horrible and dreadful to wicked and evil people. Friends, there is a day coming that everything that we've ever said, done, thought, is going to be publicly exposed, and we're going to be held account. And if we're not covered with the forgiveness of Jesus and the blood of Christ, this is a fearful and dreadful thing to think about. And it is true and it is coming. And so the Lord invites you graciously, even as Jesus was sharing this, to again give the opportunity, repent for the kingdom of God is here. Today he talks to us, those of us, who maybe are unfaithful with what we've been given. We're in Christ, but yet we haven't been using our gifts and talents. And he asks us, think about it. Think about what you're doing. Are you going and making disciples? Jesus said, go and make disciples. Are you active in kingdom ministry? He calls that out if you're not and says, turn around Know me. Ask me to expose that in you that would get in the way. If you're not believing that I'm a good God, ask me to help you with that. If you've got some things from your past that are pulling you back, ask me to help you understand your new identity in Christ. Ask me to remove old patterns of behavior from your life. Maybe you've always thought you could just set your own agenda. Well, maybe the Lord wants to help you release your agenda and ask him, what is my kingdom purpose? Because in that, when we're restored into our kingdom identity and our kingdom purpose, that's where there's the fulfillment and the joy. Jesus said, go and make disciples. He said, eagerly desire the gifts. What gifts have you been given? Are you using them frequently? If he gives you a prompting to do something for him, are you saying yes right away? Are you willing to take a risk and be stretched if he's calling you to something new, a new area to serve him? Are you willing to take that risk out of gratitude for Jesus and what he's done for you? Are we living, wanting to hear Jesus say, well done, my good servant? Are you living to hear those words? Are you eagerly waiting to hear those words? We serve out of gratitude and not compulsion. And I have to tell you, I was taking a nap last night for about 45 minutes. I had studied this text all week, off and on, off and on, reading Friday night. I was at Baker Bookhouse till 10 o'clock doing some more study, praying. I'm still trying to wrestle with it. Yesterday we had some teaching. Last night I was like, oh, Lord, help. And anyway, and I thought, I think I better just take a nap. 
So I took a nap for 45 minutes, prayed, asked the Lord to just give insight and revelation. And um, anyway, I woke up with a thought on my mind that led me to my archaeological Bible, that led me to another passage of scripture, that led me to do some more research. And um, friends, this is what was, I woke up with this thought, doulos. I woke up with a Greek word on my mind. Now, you just would have to know me to know. I told Dane, and he laughed. So um, that's my Greek vocabulary is not what I'm usually running through my brain, especially when I'm asleep. So anyway, so I wake up with this word doulos on my mind. And so I, like, start to study. And anyway, guess what? This word servant in this text is doulos. Let me tell you a little bit about this. This is not slave or servant. Like, we have the... The idea of forced slavery, like the, you know, the Americas went and took people from Africa and made them slaves. That was horrendous and horrible. This is servant. This is bond servant. This is one who was in great need financially. They were poor, and they could sell themselves to an owner. It was allowed. Let's look at Leviticus 25. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves. They are to be treated as hired workers or temporary residents among you. They are to work for you until the year of Jubilee. All right, stay with me here. These people were poor and they knew it. And they took the option to come under the kingship of a good and loving king that would obey this command from the Old Testament. These Jews, they knew the command. They weren't to be mistreated or looked down on. Think about this. Think about if you knew a young young person that needed a job and a hand up instead of a handout in this neighborhood. That would be a good relationship, right? Somebody that's coming alongside to give you a help up, to say, you can believe that there is a purpose for your life. There is something good that you can do in this life, and I'm going to show you how to do it, and I'm going to give you the resources. You didn't have the resources to do it. I'm going to help you, and I'm going to tell you what I'm expecting, and then we're going to have some accountability on it. This is the relationship of this king with the servants in this passage. Is this good and loving and holy relationship that's recognized, but the people had to recognize their condition. They had to recognize that they were poor, and they had to say yes into this relationship. But it was so good. It was such a good relationship, an opportunity to restore their, um, their integrity. Because they, in our situation, we're becoming children. When we accept Jesus, we're becoming children of our Father, a good, good Heavenly Father. And so this is the relationship And this is the conditions around this relationship is respect and love and giving resources and helping and giving some direction. And these people, these servants, were doing this willingly out of gratitude for being helped out of a miserable and desperate situation. And they would respect their master's business, it would, it would consume them. They would turn away from their own thoughts of what they wanted to do and recognize there was a better and a different way to live. And that's what he invites us into, a new identity, 
a new purpose, a new opportunity. It says, Dulos, one of the things it said is that they'd be devoted to another and to the disregard of their own interests. And so Jesus himself became a servant. He became one who would look to the Father's interest and lay down his life for us. He modeled for us what it looks like to be a doulos, to be a servant. And he rewards those who follow his modeling and serve him with absolute gratitude. And I want to tell you what we've got to look forward to when the time comes that Jesus, our faithful king, comes back. And this comes from the end of the Belgic Confession. It says... The Son of God will profess their names before God his Father and the holy and elect angels. All tears will be wiped from their eyes. And as a gracious reward, the Lord will make them possess a glory such as the human heart could never imagine. So we look forward to that great day with longing in order to enjoy fully the promises of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, he is coming back. And just as faithfully as he gives us this story of rewarding and commending the faithful servants, each of you who is being faithful have this hope. Let us pray.